0: You're listening to the Metro L.A. Podcast, an official podcast of the L.A. International Church of Christ. So, uh, Pride and Prejudice, we've been talking about unconscious bias and subconscious bias. Um, I don't want to recap everything, but uh, here's a, a, a little meme I ran into on the Internet. And um, I think it's a great example of unconscious bias. As you can see, it says, you feel alive to the degree that you feel you can help others. And it looks like a wonderful little meme. And um, very inspiring, very encouraging. And yet, what's wrong with this picture? Um, Of course, uh, hopefully you noticed it. Uh, All the brown hands are asking for help, and the white hand is the only one offering help. Um, but, and this was on the internet. I mean, it was just on there. People are posting it. And, um, this is a perfect example of unconscious or subconscious bias. And uh, even I remember, I noticed that, um, at one point I'd noticed that a series of pictures had come out and it was always a white person holding a brown baby or a black baby or, you know, an, uh, an Asian baby. And it was never anything different. And I encourage the organization to please, Show the different that I know there are many brown people, very many Asian people, many black people, many people of all colors out there serving. How about some pictures of them holding those babies or other babies? And um, so it's not just one way. Uh, and you know, unconscious bias, and I, I did talk about this already a little bit, uh, it leaks out into viewing the world and tribalism, my people versus your people, uh, us versus them, the stereotypes very much promotes and stereotypes can be positive or negative, uh, typically negative. And when a person is hurt, they pretty much all become negative. And just to to say that, you know, um, that because sometimes we think, oh, but that's a positive stereotype. Eh, It could be even a positive stereotype, but sometimes, people just don't want to be typecast. People just don't want to be pigeonholed. They don't want to be put in in a compartment. You know, you say, well, all Mexicans, uh, are, are, um, family oriented, you know, and that, that in my mind, that's a positive stereotype. Um, and most are, it's based on a lot of truth. Not all of them are, that's for sure. But, um, but some people might resent that just because they just don't want to be stereotyped. They just don't want to be put in a box and prejudged, um, uh sexism, you know, this is probably uh, you know, one of the topics that we least have talked about that we are gonna need to talk more about. And uh as we grow in our understanding and grow in our ability to learn from each other, uh prejudice, you know, prejudging people. We see them, we judge them. We we react by sight because we've got preconceived notions. And again, it's very important we understand that we all have these, all of us do. There's nobody that doesn't have these. Um, the those uh, people, those who are people of color, will feel this much stronger because it's a majority prejudging them, and those that are the majority feel it much less because it's only a small minority, and and it's not the power players in most cases. There are exceptions to that, but uh, discrimination. You know, when when people are blocked. In some way, because of this, and this all oftentimes happens in here, and and I've you know I've used personal examples because obviously they're personal and I know them, and by no means am I trying to say that my experience is worse than others. And a lot of many many people have worse experiences, but I can tell when people talk to me, uh, how, you can tell when they're talking down to you, and everybody can pick that up. You know, uh, I remember being a young man at one of my early jobs and this woman came up and said, can you come clean office, you know, in a very loud voice. And of course I said, sure. What time do you want me to go over there? And she, you know, shocked because she assumed I didn't speak English. She assumed. And for some reason, people always feel like they've got to yell when they, when you don't, if they think you don't speak English, Um, somehow not speaking English and being deaf go together. But um, and then of course, there's just plain old racism, and that's when that uh, when somebody has bought into it, they believe it, they believe the lies, they believe the superiority, they believe the fear, they, they, have, they have bought into it and and there's a wide range here, and that's important to understand that it can be from just super hateful to polite, but it's still racism. And, and, and it's, it's, it's all there. And um, one of the things that uh, that uh, w- I've talked about in, in, in these workshops is the difference between racism, prejudice, and ignorance. And I think it is important to understand the difference because um, the intent is important. Is it an ignorant? Is it, are somebody speaking out of ignorance? Is somebody speaking out of prejudging? which is has more to do with pride, or somebody speaking out of racism, which has more to do with fear and pride and hatred. Um, racism, these are just Webster's dictionary t- definitions. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Um, obviously, that's just a blatant sin. Uh, but again, as I said earlier, that can range. There are people that are subtly, I would even say, generally good-hearted people who mean well can still be racist. I I remember a talk, a really tough talk I had with somebody who who devoted much of their life to helping uh, children in poor neighborhoods in Latin America. And I realized by the comments that this person really looked at them as inferior beings, as almost like, you know, these little brown people. And um, he never said that, but it would just, it would leak out, leak out, leak out, comment after comment, after comment. This person was really devoted to helping and serving and giving. And when we tried to have a talk about it, it didn't go well at all. <laughs> and uh, this person felt like I was accusing them and, and labeling them, but there was no doubt in my mind that it was there. And so sometimes. You know, we think that, well, if racism is just in the evil intent, no, it's not. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't know we're doing it. And, and it, we, and that's why the dialogues that we're having are so important. Prejudice, more, more action of another, excuse me, more action of another in disregard of one's rights, irrational attitude directed against an individual, a group. A race or their supposed characteristics. You know, the irrational is probably the key word that it's prejudging. It's it's judging off a movie or judging off a past experience. You don't know the person, you know nothing about the person. And we draw conclusions because of their race, because of their social standing. And I mean, this can go gender. You know, we we think, oh, she's, she's weak and emotional because she's a woman or she can't, you know, do this because she's a woman or so. That's, that's just as prejudicial as, as anything, or because this person is black or because this person's white, they're not going to get it or, you know, whatever, whatever. But those, 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 that's a very real thing, of course. And then there's ignorance. It's just not knowing. It's just, they don't know, no ill intent, uh, no, no hatred, no fear, just I'm ignorant and I say things and I don't realize that I'm insulting somebody or I don't realize the prejudice that's in my comment or the racism even that's in my comment. But those are, those are important. Um, you know, racism, I hate, I fear you because you are whatever, you know, prejudice, you must be from a broken home because you're, you know, uh, um, and I, and I, let me say this about prejudice, about judgment, and I think we're gonna be talking and doing some studies. I know Michelle is planning on talking i was gonna I think we're gonna to have to do several talks on this um It's so important for right now that we learn from each other and that and therefore we must hear one another, and therefore we must be able to talk to one another and share what's really on our hearts, and we can't shut each other down because we're afraid of what each other might say, or we can't shut each other down because if somebody says the wrong thing, they're in big trouble. Um, we have to not judge. We have to, to, if somebody's expressing their hurt from racism and they express anger, we can't shut it down because, oh no, no, I don't want somebody angry at me. I didn't do this on purpose. That wasn't me or or whatever. We can't shut it down. We let it, we need to let it be shared. That's how we process things. Likewise, if we have questions about racism, you know, we have to be able to ask them without feeling like, what if I say the wrong thing and then I'm, you know, labeled or slammed because I said something insulting. And so we have to, so what this conversation that needs to happen and continue happening, it's not a one-time talk. We've had several in the region and we're going to need several more. And, and this conversation has to be able to run its course so that we can learn from each other. So it means that we cannot judge each other, you know? And even if the judgment is correct, even if it's correct, we might feel like, well, that person seems kind of bitter. Well, maybe they are, but the only way they're going to work through that is by talking and being able to get some things off their chest and listen to another perspective and and get a rounder, you know, get healed. You know, there's there are people walking around with, decades of pain and suffering. It's not just going to go away like that, you know, or, and I know that some of us are scared to death to ask questions because we are so scared that we're going to make a mistake or say something wrong. And this is where love has to overpower all that. And we can't judge each other. We have to be able to listen to each other. And again, even if the judgment's right, well, he didn't just, he just doesn't get it. Maybe he doesn't, but we still got to love each other. We still got to help each other. You know, or, well, that person just seems bitter. Maybe they are, but we still got to love each other and help that person work through their bitterness or work through their pain. And we can't judge like, oh, well, I wouldn't be bitter if I happened to me. How do you know? You know, or I wouldn't be scared to ask if I was in that person's shoes. How do you know? You don't. We don't know. We don't know each other's pain. We don't know each other's fears. We don't know what is going on in each other's hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things. No one can understand it except who? God. So in order to have that dialogue that we have to have so that we can learn from one another, we cannot judge one another. We have to be very gracious, very merciful, very patient with one another. And what we'll get out of that is a much deeper, richer understanding and a much deeper, richer love. And I and, and let me tell you, I you know, I think all of us are feeling different levels of anxiety about all this. And of course, the easier thing to do is just say, you know what, forget it. I'm out of here. Forget you all. Figure it out yourselves. It takes a lot of love to hang in there. <laughs> It takes a lot of love to not quit on each other, to just keep listening, to keep, you know, and if you've got to keep apologizing and keep apologizing, if you've got to keep saying things over again, keep saying it, just to help one another, to help each other move forward together as a family. And, And so we'll talk more about judgment and judging each other because I think there's some really helpful scriptures. I know Michelle's going to provide some great help on that. And, and, and I'll do what I can. So, but that's, I had to camp out there for a second because I'm, I'm really concerned about that right now, that we not shut each other down, that we not judge one another. Um, Ignorance, of course, you know, don't your people eat tortillas? You know, I I think I gave this example. There was a movie about, it was a Christian movie. I think it was the fire, fire, fireproof or something like that. And they had this couple, and I knew they were Puerto Rican by the by their accents, but they were supposed to be Mexican. And she opens the refrigerator and takes out a tortilla in a package and hands it to her husband as lunch. And you know, and all the Mexicans are dying because they're like, you don't hand a cold tortilla out of the refrigerator to to somebody that you love or care about. You heat it up, you cook it, and and you make it for them. But a Puerto Rican wouldn't know that because Puerto Ricans don't eat tortillas unless they live in California, but um, or you know, love Mexican food, but, but generally speaking, that's not their culture. So they wouldn't know that. Now that's a totally benign example. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets insulted, but it's an example of just how we just don't know. We don't know. Um, you know, when, when we moved to Miami, I, I, I realized that even though Miami color wise, there's a very large black population yet African-Americans were, a minority in that group. There were so many Haitians, Dominicans, uh, other islanders, Jamaicans, that that even African Americans were a minority in the black population, at least in the area that we lived. So, so it was like, oh wow. I I mean there was cultural awareness. It's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And, you know, in and, and and honestly, love would dictate, look, when I stick my foot in my mouth, I'm gonna own it and apologize for it. And everybody does it everybody does it all the way big back and forth front and back, you know, and, and lots of studies have shown how it's the, 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 the more different a race or a cultural group is from us, the harder it is for us to catch the differences, to, to note the differences. When I was a little kid and my mom remarried, she married an Irishman And I remember he would come to our house and we were a very traditional Mexican family. He, and he would bring a couple of friends over and they'd come over and they'd hang out at our house and they'd eat with us and everything. And I honestly couldn't tell them apart. I didn't know which one was my mom's boyfriend because they just looked alike to me. And I'd never been around white people. And so these tall white, thin white guys, I couldn't tell you which one was Dan and which one was Frank and which one was Mike. They, they they just seemed, it took me a while to get used to it. Why? Because my eyes were not trained or were not used to looking at Caucasian faces. And, and that happens on many levels for us. Um, you know, there's lots of studies The difference between even prejudice and racism, uh, having the preconceived, I, you know, the way I boil it down really is, is is prejudice has a lot to do with pride and racism has pride and fear a lot more fear mixed in there with it um and that's where the hate comes from that's where the actions and the evil comes from instead of uh rejoicing in differences and loving each other we we give into our fears and and it's easy to vilify that which is different and a- again everybody does it and um, but there's no doubt that, that there are certain communities that have suffered by far, by far more than others, African-American community being one, uh, probably the one that's the most suffered. Um, obviously if you go down to a reservations so the native Americans would have a lot to say, uh, about this, you know, and Jewish people would have a lot to say about this. They have, they have, you know, 5,000 years of a recorded history of suffering and persecution. So, Um, I could never say that what I went through or what my people have gone through is the same as any of those categories. Uh, But we each have our own, right? Uh, Much of this revolves around equity, what is fair, treating each other fair. I mean, what people are marching for is the promise that all men are created equal um, before God, that, that our nation was founded on that, and that we should have equal access to liberty and justice for all those statements that we all grew up saying that those should mean something. America, as you know, was built on a promise of a becoming something greater than the rest of the world of being a great country it was not ruled by a monarch or an oligarchy uh, uh, that where justice and Liberty would be available for everyone. And that in contrast to what was happening in Europe and what was happening in the other continents, um, and so when that promise is put out there and then it's snatched away, of course, there's going to be bitterness and there's going to be hurt. I mean, even the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. When when a promise is made, much of the 1960s um, marches and the civil rights protests, was what what was talked about and you remember Martin Luther King talking about this on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that this promise that was made 100 years before that was broken that still wasn't still wasn't being put in place and then you fast forward another 60 years on top of that that there's still injustice there's still all these race crimes happening against african american of course, there's gonna be anger, of course, I mean, most people can tolerate justice for maybe about an hour, let alone a year or a or five years or a decade or or a century or multiple centuries and so there's a lot of a lot of emotion there so so my question is when you look at this picture, which is equity? everybody getting the same size box, even though you know some are tall, some are short. Or everybody getting the help they need so that everybody can see over the fence. And this is kind of what boils down the the argument about affirmative action and helping minorities and, and or helping people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Really an argument and a discussion that happens all over the world. Here's the thing. And, and for me, really, of course, it's a race. There's a race race uh implications here, but there's also economic implications of people who grew up in poverty or people who grew up in nations that are impoverished. Um if we took a look at, a closer look at those boxes that they're standing on, here's what we'd see. And those those boxes that they stand on, that their lives stand on, have components. At the most basic is nutrition. We've we you know the hope programs in South Africa are to help early childhood development because research has proven thoroughly that if a child doesn't get nutrition in its first three years of life, his brain literally, her brain literally will not develop properly. And therefore, the rest of their life, they will have a handicap. They will not be able to process things and learn and advance like all the other children simply because they're malnourished and 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 this is not just in africa this has happened this has happened around the world especially countries that endured long wars uh, where a generation grows up impoverished even in places like holland or or in in the norwegian countries after world war 2 or uh, you know different in in china in different countries where where a war ravaged the land and children were born in their first several years they were raised Studies show they have more health problems, they have more educational issues, they have all kinds of mental illness, all kinds of things that just explode because of it. So nutrition is incredibly important, whether you're a kid growing up that you had a bowl of cereal and orange juice and toast and eggs or something like that in the morning, or you're a kid that just got rushed off to school and you didn't get anything, or you got a, you know, a piece of bread or something. And your body wasn't being nourished with what it needed. So that does have an effect. Obviously, education, the quality of education. Did you go to school where people took their time? Or did you go to school where the the classes were crowded and teachers were frustrated and, and that you didn't get the attention, you didn't get the education? Um, I went to school where, I went to a lot of different schools. I went to about 21 different schools growing up some schools all i needed to do was sit in the back and be quiet and i would pass and that was that's all they asked of me and failing meant you you know that you caused problems or gotten fights or something and then other schools i went to the teacher took totally an interest in me and sat down and helped me out and helped me catch up what a difference that would ma- that made in my life um the resources we have you know does it, does your house have a computer do you have internet do you uh uh Do you have access to the library? Do you, you know, those, those kind of things, experiences that, did your family take you to museums? Did you, did your, you know, I sat around at my dinner table, my dad, who was a history buff, would, would we talk about the Roman empire and the Greek and the Greeks and what they contributed to civilization? I know none of my friends talked about that stuff at their dinner tables. And I, and that just planted seeds of curiosity and desire to learn in me, um, and 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 alongside all of that is the nurturing having somebody at home that is expressive i love you ba-, you know you're so cute you're my favorite whatever the parents that were nurturing and loving and hugging and 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 speaking words of affirmation and or parents that were never there and just didn't give you any feedback because they worked all the time and they were gone all the time and when they did come home they were exhausted and didn't feel like being giving you know they sat down exhausted in front of the tv vegged out for an hour and went to bed and started the day all over again um that nurturing again has proven has been proven through research has a huge effect on your on your brain's development on on the development of synapses and you know all that your brain needs it's just it's not just nutrition but it's also emotional nourishment of uh, culture you know does do you have a culture of going to college like you know i'm the first to in my family to graduate from a four year university and you know many 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 families especially uh poorer working class families they don't value education so much they value a good job so i i remember being discouraged about education And a lot of this happens actually to a lot of Hispanic families that that kid wants to go to college. And it's like, why are you going to go add up debt? Just get a good job. And and so the culture doesn't value that or the culture value. You know, you got you got to come up with some rent money now. So, yeah, college is nice, but that's for the future. You got to get out there and do something right now to come up with rent money. Or buy food money, so those things they all affect and then of course there's opportunities you know do 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 you get to be part of an SAT uh, practice course and do you have resources to be prepared for college is is your school a college prep school or is it a school just get cranking kids through because it's overcrowded and underfunded you know I mean those those all those things affect how a person does in life and that's before they're even legally adults. And and so what their crate is made out of and how solid is that crate? And I didn't even talk about obstacles, you know, language barriers, cultural barriers, you know, uh, SAT tests that have that, uh, vocabulary that people of color don't use that vocabulary. They wouldn't understand that language and um, find a synonym for this word. Never heard of that word in their life, you know, and you say, well, why don't you go down to Barnes and Noble and buy one of those? deck of flashcards and teach them all those words that means you got to have money that means you got to be familiar with Barnes and Noble that means you got to know it's there that means that you've got to have the time to study it all those things come into play and there can be many obstacles like that 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 hold somebody back and it's like running with leg weights on and a weight vest and your eyes blindfolded <laughs> And I don't care how strong you are, it's going to be hard for you to keep up with the rest of the kids. So that's really what equity is about, is setting those crates, trying to help with those crates so that every kid has a chance. And so the easier thing to do is just point at this little kid and say, well, he's just short and that's the way his people are. They're all short on education or short on intelligence and not take into account all these other things that go into giving somebody a chance in life. So I hope that helps a little bit with the understanding of what the the why why equity is such an important thing to give people a chance when all things are equal. When all things are equal, people have the same resources, same education, same nourishment, same nutrition, all that. It doesn't divide along color or race or ethnicity or culture. There are people who are brilliant from every background. There are people who are, who are outstanding from every background, from every culture, from every language. But the fact is, in some places, it's just a lot harder than other places. And that even happens in the United States, in the major cities and in small country towns and different places where there's just... Many more obstacles and equity is not is not there, so that's enough about that. But um, and then uh, number three, it weakens our love and our unity. You know, I talked about the you know why is this so important? Um, you know we Jesus prayed that the whole world would know that we're his disciples by our oneness. You know, which is another way of saying unity, that we're in this together, that we love each other, that we that we're, we're, we're hanging together. Um, I, I love what Paul said, and this scripture has been quoted a lot lately. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty four. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no divisions in the body, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You know, this is what I love about the church. And also what I feel like the church, you know, what we're challenged by is just learning to love each other like this. And to really, uh, if one part suffers, we all suffer. I, You know, the scripture that I've been preaching over and over for the last two weeks has been John eleven thirty five. 35. I, I memorized it. Sort of scripture in the Bible. Jesus wept, and that has been so important to me because it shows Jesus' commitment not only to helping um, Mary and Martha, but and not only to raising up Lazarus from the dead, but to go there emotionally, to connect with them, to feel their pain, to share their pain with them, and even cry with them. I mean, that just shows an incredible heart of Jesus. And, of course, in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 uh, were explained how Jesus became just like us so he could suffer with us, so he could be compassionate and merciful to us. And there's, there's a level of commitment that only comes from deep love. I mean, the, the best way we see it is a parent and a child. I mean, what will a parent not do for their, for their kid? They will suffer anything, they will sacrifice everything, they will do whatever it takes to help their children, because why? They love their children. And that kind of love is the kind of love that God shows us and has called us to have with each other, that if one of us suffers, we all suffer, we all care, we let nothing divide us. If somebody in the family is being abused, then that hurts all of us. If somebody in the family and, and in this scenario, there's no if, it's absolutely happening, and I think this is what our challenge is is to love each other that much that that we feel the pain that we carry it and we help each other, and we do whatever we can to right the wrong and I know you know you say well, you're talking about a huge global problem what 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 impact do we have? Well, we have a huge impact in our world, maybe not the whole globe, maybe not the planet, but in our world we do. And definitely in the church. Definitely the church can be a place where we listen to each other. We help each other heal. We, we, we don't attack each other if we, if we say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or, or seem angry or seem or But we actually help each other with it as we all strive to be like Jesus and love one another. Uh, number four, it's just it's important to God. It's important to God you know in in Leviticus 19:15 it says do not pervert justice do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly you know this is this one's a lot harder to put into practice than we think you know because uh, we can't help it i mean if the mayor the mayor of los angeles showed up at church sunday we'd all be tripping over ourselves to make sure he had a great seat he was in a good spot that he you know had a bible that somebody was guiding him through the service it's you know and there's a there's a whole practical side of that of course you know boy could he do a lot for the church and even for christianity but on the other hand jesus says how you treat one you should treat everyone so if a poor person shows up at our church service we should treat them great we should Make sure they have a Bible, get them a good seat, uh, make sure they've got water if they need it, guide them through the service. And it's really not so much don't treat the governor well, as much as don't treat the poor person badly. And definitely because they're a different color or different language or a different background or different ethnicity, you know, that we don't treat them well or with excellence or with love. And that's on us. That's on us as the church. To grow in that kind of love and that kind of commitment. Um, you know, uh, John 17, Jesus prayed this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. You know, that's us, the future Christians, basically, who he's prayed about. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I uh, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's very clear. Jesus is calling us to a oneness with him. And, you know, as As radical as that is, I mean, being Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're one. And they are inviting us to be one with them. And we have to be, and and they challenge us to be one with each other as well. And that one, wow, that's major. That's radical. That is so different than everything. That is so different than everything in the world. Than how the world operates, to how the world thinks, and here's here's the tricky part. It doesn't happen just because we say, yeah, okay, I'll be one. Because we have a past, and we have issues, and we have luggage, and we have our cultural lenses, and we bring with us our fears and our doubts and our hangups, you know. And all of us have it, and so we have to deal with that to be able to be one. And love has to grow because love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, deal with every past hurt necessarily. But it does mean your love has to be able to cover that. And maybe, yes, maybe maybe there's some past hurts that absolutely need healing. And we have to figure that out. But the calling is to be one. That means we, we go through whatever we got to go through, even though we're tempted to just say, forget it. Forget about it. It's too much hassle. It's too hard. Let me just go where everybody looks like me, sounds like me, talks like me, eats what I eat. That's way easier. Not really, because you'll have an issue with somebody in that group. And that group will divide up by skin tone or ethnicity or language or religion or something. Because every group does. And then you have the same set of problems all over again. At some point, somebody's got to stop and say, nope. We're going to go there and we're going to get, we're going to become one with Jesus and one with each other, even though it's a painful process. We're going to do it. This is, this is what God wants. Universal unity. And it's only from God. It I'm telling you, it doesn't come from the world. You can bond people for uh, one cause, one mission, a championship game, and that'll bond everybody together for a short time. But guaranteed. As soon as that's done, there goes the unity. We are not bonded to win a championship. To look good. And then we're bonded. Because we're going to spend eternity together. So we better like each other now. <laughs> we better figure it out now. And enjoy what we have. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and there's so much fun in that, there's such a glory in that there's so much there's so much greatness in that. Our diversity it's beautiful, it's fantastic. It's something to be celebrated as we come from so many different backgrounds and cultures and you know every you know what every one of those little faces represents a different way of making rice. Every one of them cooks rice different. We all love rice and rice is good. And whether it's white rice or rice pilaf or Mexican rice or Nigerian rice or arroz con gandules or, or con gris or, or, or whatever it is, rice and peas. There's a lot of different ways. Fried rice, it's rice and it's great. And that's what we are. We're, we're, we're the same and yet different. We're different flavors, but we're the same. And diversity, it's a very real thing. And it's a very powerful thing. Another class, another time, we'll look at the power of diversity. It beats talent. It beats experience. It beats education. It even beats expertise. In the business world is figuring this out and realizing that a a business does much better if it has a diverse leadership team. They just do. Because you get all these different perspectives that help you win, that help you succeed. A group average is almost always better off than an individual average. And no individual is smarter than a group of smart people. It just doesn't happen. And lastly, you know, we, we... I love this picture. This is a Banksy. I have a big poster of this. I love it because that picture, that guy would typically be throwing a Molotov cocktail. That's one of those bottles that explodes on impact at a tank or at soldiers or at a building or something. But instead, he's got a bouquet of flowers. And that, to me, represents love and beauty. And the world's full of radicals for hatred, for anger. Radicals who are willing to lay down their lives for their hatred and for their anger. What the world needs is people who are radical for love. People who are willing to lay down their lives to spread the gospel of love. To spread the message of love. God said, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Help each other. Don't be silent. Don't do nothing. Stand up for each other. Be part of the solution. Spread the gospel of love. Spread the message of love. Let's change the world. Let's let's change the church. Let's help the church be that haven of love. Let's help our neighborhoods and our communities and our cities Let's show them this as we learn to love each other and to be one in Jesus. I'll stop there. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.